You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. So, very good day. Welcome to the podcast. It is the 26th of April, 2022. So, our weather today is a lot better than this time last week because uh, we had atmospherics causing the problems and unfortunately we weren't able to talk to Neil in the way that we normally do. So um, having said that, the weather is good. We've got a little bit of haze over the mountains showing me there's heat about. Let's get into the fictional car, go over the fictional mountain. Well, they're not so fictional really. And we'll say good morning. Welcome to Neil. And uh, Neil, how are you? What's your weather like? All right, Vince. You all right? Lovely. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, last week was a very, very strange week weather-wise. I don't know if you'd realised. Uh, I certainly hadn't at the time. Um, but we kicked off. We got talking to each other. And then, unfortunately, things just didn't uh, allow me to make the, 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 the podcast the way we normally do. So, um, thank goodness we've got a better day today. Yeah, well, the weather here is the sun's out, but there's still that haze about, you know. Yeah, is it just a bit of hazy cloud? That's all. It's really warm. Yeah, we're supposed, we're supposed to, literally tomorrow and Thursday. We're supposed to be getting a dousing again. Aren't oh, we? it just—it's getting more like Cornwall, isn't it? Really, but yeah. uh, okay. Let's see where we go first. Stand by. Okay, uh, so having uh, said that, let me just go to what I wanted to do, and uh, here we go. Now, because we always have stuff that is really quite downbeat, I thought we'd start with something upbeat today. And we're going to talk about uh, somebody who is larger than life, Tyson Fury. And he's come back to reality with a thud going out uh, from the adrenaline rush of beating Dillian White at the packed Wembley to take out the bins. This is the picture in the paper today. The heavyweight champion carried uh, to the ring on a throne before dispatching White with an uppercut in one of the great nights of his career. He vowed to retire afterwards and was stuck into the mundane chores of everyday life on Monday. Um, so, what did you think of the fight? What do you think of Tyson Fury? And um, what did you think of the result? I mean, the result, I mean, everybody knew what result were going to be. I mean, you saw the size of him, six foot nine against a six foot four. Reach is m- massive. <laughs> and uh, he's a big unit, isn't he? You don't want to, you don't want to crack off him. But, uh, yeah, but all right. I mean, 25 million, he says he's going to retire. But don't forget, he's had millions and millions from all the other fights. So, how much money do you need, really? But, yeah, 25 million, 94,000 sellout. Well, he is um, he is a, a real larger-than-life character. And I've got to, got to yeah. say, it's good to have these people around, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's had his problems. He's had his drug problems. He's had his drink problems. You know, and then 
one minute it ballooned up to something like about 27 stone or something, didn't he? And then next minute he's fighting six months later and he's got his shed it all over you. You've got to be dedicated in that game, haven't you? You know. Well, I think a lot of people sort of regarded him really as a bit of a um, freak and uh, one-off. But, I mean, he's certainly he's, he's created... Um, the magic of the the world title again, which you know it it had gone for a while, hadn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, are we going to get this Joshua and uh, Tyson Fury fight, or are we not? Listen, if there's money on the table, trust me, they'll they'll both. <laughs> They'll both get to Wembley Stadium, trust me. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on then, and uh, with a bump, we'll get down to earth. Now, these guys are beginning to get a little bit of a nuisance for me, but see what you think. It's a group of Just Stop Oil protesters. Expected to be arrested today after breaching an injunction by standing in front of an oil terminal holding placards saying dangerous radicals and if only they listen to petitions. The 16 activists outside Kingsbury Oil Terminal in Warwickshire said police approached them to say they would be arrested for breaching an injunction which stops them demonstrating outside uh, Britain's largest inland oil storage depot. The group of protesters held white signs saying investing in new fossil fuels is moral and economic madness. Oil is stealing my future. Don't stop us. Stop oil. We are breaking the injunction and dangerous criminals. Uh, Valero Energy, the Texas-based company which owns the Kingsbury Oil Terminal, secured a first injunction on April the 11th, stopping anyone from damaging it, the land at its sites or affixing themselves to any oil other person or object. Three three days later, April the 14th, the second injunction was granted in the High Court for North Warwickshire Borough Council, Warwickshire Council and Warwickshire Police, which gives the authorities more powers of arrest. Just Stop Oil, which is linked to the wider Extinction Rebellion group, said any arrested protesters are likely to face a charge of contempt of court and could then face an unlimited fine of up to two years in prison if found guilty. Um, So, uh, I mean, I I don't know whether you feel the same. These guys need stopping in the tracks, don't they? The only way you'll do it is give them the two years, give them the big fine and tell them, go and find a job. Because they, mu- they, they can't have jobs, these lot. They must all be on benefits because we can't just drown tools and go and, and go and protest anywhere. You know what I mean? Stop oil. Do me a favour, will you? you? So what's the next one? Stop these solar panels because when they start breaking up and this, that and the other, are they going to say, oh, well, the, the lithium in them and the lithium batteries and this, that and the other, when they find out the truth about them, then they're going to be in trouble again, aren't they? You know, they're going to be protesting for something else. We had tunnels and all sorts, remember them? They were in treetops and God knows what. Oh, yes, you know, yeah. And then they just, they just disappear off face of earth. They go back home, think of something else, and then go and protest on that while we're paying, paying them benefits. No, give them the full two-year, give them the big fine, and tell them to go and work to pay the fine off. Well, I think Britain doesn't take these things seriously enough because I seem to remember that uh, when all that stuff you were mentioning was going on, they had a character in Coronation Street, basically, you know, and he was going out to protest and all that. 
And uh, I mean, really, these people are now they're really creating a public nuisance. Now, if you and I wanted to do something um, probably quite inoffensive, uh, we'd find the police would be around very, very quickly, wouldn't we? Oh yeah, they'd be jumping on us like a like a hot brick, you know. But I mean, I think they're backed. They, they've got to be backed by uh, the far left, you know. Cause disruption, do this, do that, you know, or far right, whichever one it is that that, that that they'll be associated to, and they keep giving them the money to go on these protests. Yeah, I, I think I mean? it's um, I, I, for me, you see, it's got to be far left because uh, yeah. well, it, I, I, w- I would have said that myself because. If anybody went on strike, they they used to send busloads in, you know. Yeah. Nothing to do with you know what the people are on strike for, but it it was just for you know for make uh, cause mayhem to everybody. It, it's been going on for donkey's years, but they keep popping their heads up, don't they? Well, I think you've got it right. I, I think that somebody is payrolling them, and yeah. uh, I think, quite honestly, um, that you know we've seen enough of this in the papers. So either the it's convenient to have them creating uh, a problem, or it isn't one or the other. Uh, be, because, quite frankly, if we if we have people creating problems for us at our level, we, you you got to sort it out. Otherwise, it just goes on and, and spoils everything, doesn't it? You see, they never come up with a, an alternative. You know, they say, no, ban oil. Right. Ban electric. But hang on, the oil, gas and, you know, nuclear and all that. Because if you start them switching the thing onto nuclear power, which is the the, the safest and, and cleanest or whatever, there'll be, there'll be some that'll go and, and, and protest about that. You know, what, what do you want to just live with? Candlelight? Well, look, I've I've got a nice related story. Let me play the jingle and then we'll bring it in. It's Europe Calling. You're listening to Vince Tracy, not Neil Cobalt. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. Okay, so our next story then is uh, something I picked up in one of the papers this week. And Britain could soon approve its first new coal mine in decades as it tries to reduce reliance on Russian imports. Uh, Leveling up secretary Michael Gove is reportedly preparing to give the thumbs up to a new colliery in Cumbria. Despite opposition from climate campaigners, Woodhouse Colliery will produce uh, coking coal used in the production of steel rather than to generate energy for homes. Cumbria County Council has originally approved the plan, but ministers launched an inquiry last year after activists objected to the mine ahead of the COP26 climate change conference. Now the decision is down to Mr Gove, who's until July the 7th, and the planning inspectorate sent a report to the mine to Mr Gove early this month. A Tory party source told the Sunday Telegraph, I don't know for certain, but I get the impression he is going to approve it. Advocates, including several Tory MPs, believe the mine will be good for the economy. The private equity-backed West Cumbria mining claims it will create 500 jobs. Um, for me, I think it's like revisiting the 80s. You know, this really should have been planned and thought about a lot more seriously because I remember back in the 80s when Margaret Thatcher came in 
And it was a political thing. I mean, yes, I think there was change necessary, but to then go and rely on another country, as they have done, and just importing uh, everything rather than trying to be self-sufficient, I think was always going to bring a few problems later on. And I think, uh, quite honestly, I think it's a good idea. I don't know about you. Um, I, yes, I, I think, I, I think it's, it's a marvellous. good idea. Yeah, I do. Absolutely marvellous. Jobs up there are few and far between, apart from Sellerfield and that. You've got nothing really up there. Only a few boats on Windermere. Uh, but, yeah. And not only that, it's coke. It, it, so instead of, like you were saying about the 80s with Margaret Thatcher and this, that and the other. So we shut them all down and then we go and import it. But they're telling you they're importing it for a penny, for a thousand tonnes or whatever they, it were. And the minute, the minute all our minds shut, price of coal stormed up. You know what I mean? It, it, the import, to get it imported for twice as much as what it would have cost for, for mining here. But this is a clean thing. It has a great big massive cover all over it and it's it's coke for the steel industry well our steel industry were going going backwards and going out of business because they couldn't afford to have it all sent in from china and god knows what because that steel's rubbish apparently and i think it's a fantastic idea yeah it's not going to cause anybody any miler or anything and you, you your steel will be you know you, you get all the steel that you want for all these big factories being built and everything else and all that yeah, I think it's marvellous. I think uh, on uh, this isn't a negative, but it might sound a bit negative. I, I think the problem is that people don't realise just how difficult these jobs have been in the past. Now, for me, what what would really be just the, the, the icing on the cake would be uh, for these things to be set up with the workforce in mind and the health of the workforce definitely paramount to what happens now because, you know, it, in, in, in essence, it's a great idea. Um, so let's get, the, let's get the right gear for the right people who want to do that job and, uh, and yeah. support them 100%, I I'm think. I'm with you all the way with that because now it's nearly all... Uh, all mechanical, you know, it, it, be, you know they, they have these things that go underground and, and fetch it out, and then it, they're, they're on conveyors that go to the to the to the surface, and it's the surface workers and these that you know the, the repair people and them that keep moving it about so they can get to the steel factories and this that and the other. As long as I mean mining, there were a mine right near us, Ascroft Colliery were called, and I've I've seen them men, you know. Coming out of work, black as spades, caked in dust, chest problems, and all that. It's nothing like that now. You yeah. know, it, them days are well and truly gone. Well, I mean, now, that would that would be a, a, an absolute case in point for um, people wearing masks and things like that. So, so if they can get the technology right, I mean, uh, they could really make it a much more sort of uh, proactive way of making the the the, the workforce. Uh, have the safety that will maybe you know not give us the problems that we had in history uh, over the years of people being down the mines, you know, which was spoken of. There'll be more ventilation, yeah, and you know, as we as we've said, you know, it's, it's an absolutely great idea than importing it from China. You see, you keep saying, oh, well, you know, the environment. Well, what do you think it's costing for fetch all the the tons of coke that we need from China to yeah. your environment? You know what I mean? You can't have the eight and the cake. You know, it's one or the other. And if you if you shut this down, that means 500 people are not going to get a job up there. 
and and then we're going to costing us an arm and a leg to import it from China. And and when you get then if you import the steel from China, apparently it's nowhere near as good as ours. And if you get the ventilation right and all the and I mean we're overloaded with safety rules now, so they're not going to open it like you know with a donkey going down and a, and a canary in a cage and this that and the other, you know. It's going to be really modern, a modern uh, mine, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, I just, um, I'm just getting a, a, another, a, another article which is related to this, and uh, this one was another one I picked up. These are totally remote from each other's. They should be looked at sort of together. Really, fracking has transformed. Uh, America from being a net energy importer reliant on supplies from often unstable countries to a net exporter. Natural gas produces fewer carbon emissions than oil and go- uh, oil and coal, so it's greener and less polluting than they are. Nevertheless, it's still a fossil fuel and thus, according to environmental activists, should stay in the ground. Now, determined to do whatever it takes to thwart the frackers, they have also identified a host of other problems. They claim the technology brings, uh, obviously, all sorts of things to an area. In Britain, an aggressive campaign has been mounted to dissuade the government from embracing fracking, and it's been very successful. Many Britons hear the word fracking and think of polluted aquifers, flames bursting out of taps, spouting methane gas, earthquakes... Toxic chemicals, huge water shortages, uh, wastage, lorries carrying up country roads, etc. Of course, there are no votes to be won in any of these. And so in 2019, the British government imposed a fracking moratorium. Until recently, ministers planned to close the country's two shale gas wells near Blackpool. Although fracking company Quadrilla has been told it will no longer have to seal the wells pending further research from the British Geological Society. This day of execution on Britain's nascent fracking industry has, of course, been precipitated by the war in Ukraine. Uh, Putin's invasion has made clear Europe's dangerous reliance on Russian natural gas. As prices have soared and are set to rise even higher in the autumn, Boris Johnson has faced pressure from some of his own MPs to unleash the UK's fracking potential and help bring energy household bills down. Um, Okay, so what do you think of fracking and what do you think of what uh, that article was saying? Well, right, US have had a go at it. They're saying it's safe and this and the other. So let's just have one go at it. Yeah, I mean, they were coming with, oh, there were earth tremors. They were like somebody stamping on ceiling, you know, stamping on floor. That, you know, it, but if it do one, and if it's if it's safe, and then you see people are going to be going berserk about the gas bills, electric bills, everything else, right? If you can get your bills down for the sake of a fracking, then let's have a go at it. You know, you're never going to move forward if you if you're going to stand still. So let's have a go. Let that carry on in Blackpool. See how well it does, or how badly it does. If it's if it's no good, then we knock it in the head. But if not, give it a go. And then if all of a sudden your gas bills come down by a couple of hundred quid a year, or five hundred quid a year, or whatever it is, then all of a sudden, everywhere in country will want a bit of fracking. You know. I, I suppose really one of the one of the interesting and mostly relative points is. If it was near your house 
and you yeah, used... in NIMBY, yeah. yeah, not in my backyard, yeah. Exactly, and you saw a sign going up. So, I mean, would it not make more sense for people to sort of find areas where maybe this, at the moment, uh, is sort of still ready to go, but not ready there right now? Get it. There must be areas which are away from people's houses, surely. Well, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know about, about geo, geological, uh, it is this and all that. But <clears throat> until people are worried about all these wagons and things coming, they only brought the stuff in, you know, to, to drill and whatever. Right. Now, it's already there, so give it a go. You might as well give it a go now, and the first benefit will be them in um, Black, just outside Blackpool. It's one, it's one plot of land. You know, oh, the next minute you'll get some what's the names coming, some uh, builders. You know, that, these that want to build a million houses straight facing you, not putting any, you know, infrastructure in. You know, like schools and hospitals and this that, and the other. Yeah. So, g- give it a go. As I said, you can't move forward if you keep standing still. Just give it a go and let's see and check it from there. And if it does go wrong, then they have to put everything back as it was in a nice green field and move on. And, I mean, if you've got a house which is maybe it's been somebody's pride and joy for years on end, uh, but it's in the middle of maybe a good fracking opportunity, what would you do with that? Well, I mean, I had a, a steelworks inside of me. You know, there were four houses, and, and I had a steelworks. And when that shut, it just went to rack and ruin. You know, they, they planned it and, and everything, as uh, you know, as they said they were going to do. They were moving it onto Isle of Man or somewhere like that. I can't remember. Um, and you, you had to live with it. But now, I, when I've gone back to UK, the, the last house I were in, now there's 300 houses where this um, steel company were, right? Truman's it were called, Truman's Steel, right? And there's 300 houses, but there's only one road. In and out, and you're coming onto a main road, which is the A6. So you've let all them build all these houses, and nobody can get on main road. Uh, you know, when you're all going to work and going to school and, and stuff like that, and it's chaos. You know, uh, as I say, you, you know, <laughs> when they come and put houses across the road from them, or, or a gypsy site comes, yeah, I can, I can understand them complaining about that. But if it's going to help everybody in country for cheaper gas, you know, and cheaper bills, and let's have one go at it. Okay. And, and guarantee them, that you know, that are living near it, that if anything, anything's going wrong or anything like that, we will definitely shut it down and wrap it up and put it back exactly as it were. Okay, let's move on then. Vince Tracy, you know, for the cost of blanket, yo. Okay, so uh, let's see where we'll go next. Yeah, th- this is a royal tour next. Okay, now this is the Royal Tour which has gone to Santa Lucia and uh, there's a host of radio show there the radio tells it like it is slammed the royal visitors saying I would like to know what is the purpose of this royal visit and who is paying for it 
The royal couple landed in St. Uh, Luthia on Friday when they received a warm welcome with a red carpet rolled out before travelling to St. Vincent and the Grenadines on Saturday where they were met by a group of around 15 protesters who displayed placards which included Enter Colonialism, Compensation Now, Down with Neo-Colonialism and Britain, Your Debt is Outstanding as they made their way to Government House on the island. Uh, these were the Wessexes, weren't they, that were on tour? Was it... Uh... Uh, they, they, uh, didn't get cancelled, that? Well, I mean, could... I don't know what he, what job he's supposed to have, but he's a bit of a he's a bit of a dead duck, isn't he? You know, if you've got Kate and William, you know they'll they'll promote everything. But right, okay. Now all West Indies now, you know, after this uh, Windrush thing and and this that and the other, right? We we supply more to them than than everything, but they're going back in this history books again and and all that, aren't they? Right. If they want to be on their own, that's fine. Let them go on the own, but don't keep saying we own money, you know, for this, that, and the other. And everybody, you know, I've, I've been to four at West Indies on holiday, you know, and they love us. So what do what do you think, the, really, well, though? What what is the point of the visits, and who pays for it? Um, these it the. Was. Well, yeah, I was going to come to that because basically, you know, they must come out of taxes and somebody must work out that there's an advantage to doing it. Um, I mean, is it any more than just showing the flag? I mean, maybe it would get up your nose a little bit if you just had people coming around sort of looking down the nose at you. you know? Yeah, yeah, especially on Mont Sussexes. They don't do anything anywhere, really. Yeah. But if Queen went, whoa, now that's a different matter. Because she were head of state of them all, wasn't she? Yeah. You know, so, you know, you don't want someone 56 down line coming and, you know, having a jolly boys week and just uh, meeting all these people and God knows what. No, let's let's send top dog, you know, or Charles or whoever, you know. Somebody that's part, you know, big part of the royal family. Okay. You know, you, you don't want somebody that's a million miles down line and not have a chance of getting anything else. And, and they don't do anything anyway, so... Yeah, I, I get why they're moaning and, and saying cancel it and do this that, and the other. But every royal trip we pay for. Yeah, but I mean that's part of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> when you look at the fact that the pensions are sort of the lowest in, in well well down the table for the people that have worked all their lives. I mean, you know, is it time to maybe stop doing that? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll Hang on, just, just before I finish on that. Yeah, right, right. We we were the fourth biggest um, economy in the world. Yeah, we're somewhere like number fifteen down the, down the track for pensions. Yeah, right? that's that's not a benefit. We work for all that. Yeah, but who sold it off? Gordon Brown with a, a vault or a, a thing anywhere. He sold our pension pot off. We should have been fourth in the world. Yeah. Well, we we certainly ain't when it. I mean, when it comes to pensions, you look at the fact that the Germans, who we obviously can see more of a comparison, being out here and living alongside them, four times uh, it, it can be up to four times our pension. And I mean, you've got you've got Spain and something like I think Malta or somewhere or what you know all these countries that we're the fourth biggest economy in the world, so we should have the fourth best pensions because we paid in for it. There's millions of people every year die before they get the pension. Where does that money go? You know, it, it's an absolutely disgrace, the, the UK pension. But that was through him. 
Trust me, I told you, you know how a Labour man I'm like. <laughs> but he sold our pension pot off, Gordon Brown. And he still keeps popping up on telly now, and he's, he's not, not, not got a job. OK. OK, here we go, then. What about the workers? What about the workers indeed, sir? Right, uh, we'll go to this one. Okay, now this one I don't understand. So, uh, a British trainee dental nurse said she was going to Disney World before she flew to Arizona and married a guy on death row, an inmate who killed two people and dumped one of their bodies in an alley. Uh, This uh, is a 26-year-old from Chipping Norton, Oxfordshire, told her family she was on holiday in the US, even posted holiday snaps from Disney World in Florida and the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, However, she surprised her relatives by posting photographs of herself marrying double murderer Manuel Ovante Jr., 35, who was on death row at the Amon Jail uh, in Arizona. He spent more than a decade in jail after he was sentenced to death in 2010 for murdering two men. Um, What on earth do you think somebody like this is, is doing that for? Well, for one, probably publicity. But the other one, the minute she flies back to UK, they should uh, get her checks over in a mental house. You know, well, what what on earth possesses you to go and marry somebody that's on death row, likely have a needle inside him and gone, a, a double murderer, and, and then you're going to send pictures to your family that she's got, yeah, well, let me tell you, you're not coming living back in this house. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, you see, I, I looked at that and I thought, well, it doesn't really explain anything as to what motivates somebody. I mean, she must have seen him on the internet or something like that because it doesn't give you that part on the story. Uh, but, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me, that. Exactly. They'll, they'll be going on, you know, FaceTime or whatever it is or sending letters to each other and he'll be uh, giving him, uh, giving her his undying love and this, that and the other, you know. Yeah, right to him by all means if you're in... If you're into double murderers, then yeah, right to him and this, that, and the other. But <laughs> get him married, do me a favour, yeah. please. What hey. nuts house are we living in? Well, this is a, a weird one that uh, I'm looking at now, and I just really can't understand really the mentality of. I won't give his name, but he called himself the hardest four-letter word in the northwest, and he punched a guy who was 36 hard enough to cause immediate brain trauma. Uh, the guy is a bodybuilder and he's been now put in jail, has now been declared dangerous and sentenced to 11 years and three months in prison. Um, the poor victim in all this had accidentally stepped on his foot while celebrating his birthday with his current, uh, with his current uh, in a place, um, I'm not going to bother telling you where that was, but had apologised and there were seemingly no further problems. However, at around 1.30am in the incident on September the, 20, uh, September the 2nd of last year, this bodybuilder, without warning, hit this guy and then punched 
his friend with the force of a heavyweight boxer. This uh, went to Manchester Crown Court and Mr X was able to break his fall and suffered concussion but had no memory of the attack. The other guy, of course, was declared dead about an hour later. Um, as I say, I've not put the, the, the person's name in because, quite frankly, he doesn't deserve to even be mentioned uh, by name. It's just the, yeah. the horrible way that he's, lend, he's ended somebody else's life. Exactly. And 11 years, which we know he'll be coming out in five and a half, yeah? Yes. And then he'll go and punch somebody else. And, you know, these cheap shop merchants, you know, no matter how big or small they are, right, it's just a, it, it's just a coward's way. You know, I just... Right, you stand on somebody's so oh, sorry, pal. I, I didn't, you know, sorry about that. I didn't realise, you know, that's the end of it. You know, nobody, nobody's walking around going stamping on people's feet deliberately. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, and then he leaves it for a while, and then when the young one's not looking, boom, and then bang his mate as well, and we're now doing his mates. You know, they should be locked up proper. That, that's the trouble. We keep going on every week, you know, that the punishment doesn't, you know, doesn't fit the crime. Well, I suppose, you, know, you see, what the paper doesn't tell us is... Had he ever been like that before? Because if it was totally and utterly out of character, surely the article... I'm, I'm looking now at the mechanics of writing this article and putting it into the paper, etc., etc. I mean, if he had been previously that wicked that he'd done something like that to somebody else, then you'd expect the court to be able to, to tell people. But they, they don't, as I think we identified the other week. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, all only by going by what I've actually got in front of me can I see that this has been a massive guy with a huge punch who's obviously flattened somebody, according to what we've read, for accidentally standing on his foot. I mean, that doesn't really make any sense in the case of if, if it's factual. If, see, what, what, if he's been found guilty... That's when they read out if he's got any other previous convictions. But the papers won't put that in. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know, so, so you know, well, oh, is, you know, is it a one-off, like we're saying, or has he done it to other people but not killed them? Do you know what I mean? Thumped somebody and, and, and gone off and, and, and got away, sort of, it with, or he's been brought back for grievous bodily harm or something like that. But when they found guilty, while well, you're still in on jury... They read out if they've got any previous convictions. If they have, then the sentence should be way, way longer. Yeah. Well, it should be longer anyway for cheap shotting somebody anyway, I believe. Just uh, not enough information on that article, really. So yeah. um, with that yeah. in mind, I'll move on. Now, this one is about two graffiti artists who were killed by an oncoming train while tagging a Brooklyn subway station. And they've been identified as famous French artists Pierre Audebour and Julien Blanc. And they were fatally struck by a Manhattan-bound number three train in Brownsville on Tuesday of last week, apparently. The New York Daily News reports their bodies were found at around 6.40 a.m. on Wednesday by a train operator pulling into the elevated um, station at Rutland Road. 
Two French passports alongside several cans of spray paint were located at the scene. So the first thing is these guys have gone from France across to um, America and they're desecrating parts of the um, the environment. That's yeah. really something that doesn't come out on this article because, quite frankly, I don't know about you, but I've been on trains, for example, in Australia, and you see it looks absolutely awful. All the graffiti looks horrible. I do know there are bits of nice graffiti here and there, and I've seen some some nice graffiti in ben parts of Benidorm, actually. Uh, yeah. But I mean, in well, the there's some rubbish ones, isn't there? Then they catch him. Remember, he was doing the bull. You know the bull, the Osborne bull that they have. Them great big, you know, uh, wooden frames of the black bull as you're driving in towards Benidorm. Oh and, yes, and, yeah. Right, and they caught him, and he got something like a six year. Made him repaint it all out black, and then put him in prison for about six years, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about the um, the graffiti, but I mean, I I really don't like it. It's got to be I particularly get it, I get nice. It if it's for a purpose, yeah. You know, like the, uh, that somebody said, well, well, you can put Kevin Sinfield and uh, Rob Burrow yeah. on side of our our house of of a, a a picture of them, and they're very very good. These, you know, but Banksy started all this, didn't he? You know, yeah, yeah. he's made it made it really famous. You know, but as I say, for uh, like that Rob Butter and Kevin Sinfield, belting. You know, for the uh, um, motor neuron disease. Yes. You know, and and if it's on side of your house and you've given permission, that's fine. But going on railways, remember the trains at one time? They, they were painting all over windows, anything, yeah. just rubbish. You know, that's when they need clamping down on. Oh, and what you're going to, I mean, what you're doing on a, a busy station in America, yeah, standing on whatever you were standing on, a plank or something like that, to, and then a tra you can, surely you can hear a train coming anyway, and well, then bang, you, you get killed. Uh, well, there you go. You would have thought they'd hear, hear the train come in, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand some of these things. OK, let's see what uh, what we've got with the next one. Stand by. OK, this is... Dozens of innocent post office sub-postmasters uh, who were wrongly convicted in one of Britain's biggest ever miscarriages of justice have said they are no closer to gaining compensation. This was a year now after the appeal judges quashed their criminal records. And now Neil Hudgel, the lawyer leading the compensation negotiations, has now called for cases to be settled by the end of the year to prevent the, the victims facing further financial ruin. Hundreds of staff were blamed by the post office for losses in branch accounts caused by serious flaws in the Fujitsu a developed Horizon computer system which was in use between 1999 and 2015. Rather than admit the IT system was defective, the post office concealed evidence of the glitches and instead forced its own staff to plead guilty to crimes they knew they had not committed. 
lawyers representing those who sought to get their convictions overturned were talking about this uh, to the journalists again. Many postmasters, postmistresses were prosecuted for theft, fraud and false accounting, while others were hounded out of work uh, or forced to pay huge sums of missing money. The scandal blighted their lives as former staff lost their homes and marriages and suffered ill health as a result. I don't know what goes on with these things because, quite honestly, anybody with half a, 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 half a brain would know that you don't suddenly get a spate of post offices up and down the country all stealing at the same time. I mean, that was far too much of a coincidence. And um, these people, it's terrible the way they're being treated. Um, what, what have you heard about that one? It's, it's disgusting. I see it on telly when it comes on. People committed suicide because they knew they, did, they hadn't done it. And as you say, if all of a sudden there's 600 post offices and, and all of a sudden 500 of them, are, you know, are, 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 there's money missing here, there and everywhere, they're not going to all gang up, are they, and start stealing money off post office. This should have been sorted 30 years ago. The minute... Or they should have had experts in there on that thing that say, well, listen, that's the money we've took in, that's the money that's there, well... Where's this money gone? What are you on about? We've, it's computerised. It's now doing us. We only count it out and put it in on the counters and this, that and the other. It's an utter, utter disgrace. And as you say, families have split up. People have committed suicide. People have never been able to work again. The neighbours and friends were thinking, oh, I hope, what, what's up with them two? Half thieving, you know, thieving away. You know, it's an utter disgrace. It should have been sorted years ago. And the, the compensation should be paid out ASAP. Yeah, totally with you on that one. OK, here's the next one. Now, I don't know if you've uh, had this in your life, but I remember working for one company and, you know, I took over my boss's job. I got promoted and when I found all the things that were wrong and not very nice things, it really did make me quite cross. And I'm reading about failed children's services bosses. Some were ousted over major scandals, have repeatedly bounced back into similar six-figure council jobs in a revolving door of failure. This is the article I'm reading, remembering uh, that our whole purpose is to look at things that are in the news. Everybody should be really looking at them and thinking, well, hang on, that's, that's not good enough. We need that change in. Several officials forced to leave their positions after devastating revelations about the care of youngsters, have slipped seamlessly into near-identical roles at different local authorities. This is in the Daily Mail, and um, some picked up huge payoffs, despite overseeing services that deteriorated to inadequate. Others failed to make improvements at already struggling councils. One council boss has toured the country working at six failing local authorities in 17 years. Under his watch, councillors have been marred by scandals from financial mismanagement to the murder of a vulnerable teenager. At another crumbling department, a director was paid a basic salary of £138,000 while two children were beaten to death following lost opportunities to protect them. She was swiftly moved to another local authority, which was already rated inadequate, where she was paid another six-figure salary. 
One head of children's services was handed a £100,000 severance payment following a probe by Watchdog Ofsted, which found the vulnerable children were being left for too long in six, uh, situations of chronic neglect. She's now heading up another council department. The social service system has come under scrutiny after it was revealed the former head of the council department that failed Arthur Labinio Hughes was handed the role despite having run another operation only 60 miles away into the background, uh, into the ground, sorry. Arthur was a six-year-old from Sullyhull. He died from a brain trauma in June 2020 after he was beaten by his stepmother. God, I mean, you really, really are flabbergasted when you read this stuff. Six-figure salaries for people who are so incompetent. And yet, I'm pretty sure, Neil, when you look back on your own work, you, you're probably exactly the same as me. You've worked your hardest, you've tried to be honest, and yet you've never earned money like that. It's not. It's just beyond comprehension to me, that. It, it's, it, it's an absolute shambles it's the same as mps councillors these on the top with the minute you get that top job or you get it on that scale going up up the ladder and then all of a sudden they tell you that the social services have been a disgrace for donkey's years but as you say they keep moving them from one hundred grand job to another it was like when the priest all got found out what they used to do years ago is move them to another uh, uh, church or, you know, another place in country. Then that's all they're doing. And it's the same. With, you know, if you're an MP and all that, you get all this lot for life. And no matter how good, or, you know, or especially how bad you are, you still move to another, you know, they just move you along line on the same money. Well, it's I an remember. absolute disgrace. And the pensions they give them is an absolute nonsense. I remember when I was at the college, you know, and things were not right and we'd go to meetings and you'd say what what was probably unpopular to be said, but it needed saying. And then, you know, they'd sweep it under the carpet and many a time, I mean, I can remember one particular incident where, you know, the... The, the, the person that was not doing what could be done or doing things that shouldn't be done uh, got promoted because the boss was the head of the department and all this sort of stuff. And I'm sure it's not just in the UK. I mean, it does seem to be something that just seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Once, you, once you're on that gravy train, you're on it for the rest of your life. Uh, no matter how bad you are, it, it's... It, it's a disgrace. You see, there's nobody overseeing any of this because him in charge, he's not bothered what's happening down below. He leaves somebody else there, down, you know, next ladder down, and then he leaves it down to somebody else further down. It's the poor ones at the bottom that are running here, there, and everywhere trying to think it, but then nobody takes any notice of what they're saying. Yeah. We've had more children killed, you know, when they've been, you know, diagnosed as, um, what's the name? Um, At risk. Know, very vulnerable. Yeah. And they probably shouldn't be with these parents or with, with whoever. And they just let them carry on when, when they get killed. It's an absolute, it's a disgrace. Drive you mad, Neil. Let's, um, let's go to the next one.
Okay, so we move next to humans who may be getting worse at thinking because of the internet and social media. Okay, so with so much information coming at us all the time, we can increasingly cope only with bite-sized chunks of knowledge, such as a short tweet or a two-minute video. The professor is Jim Al-Khalali, the academic and science presenter who hosts The Life Scientific on BBC Radio 4, told the Edinburgh Science Festival that despite our vastly increased scientific knowledge, the human brain hasn't got bigger or more efficient or better than it was thousands of years ago he said because we're making use of technology these days one could argue we are getting dumber our attention span is shorter we're not prepared to spend the time to think things through carefully or discuss and debate ideas he said there'd been a drift towards oversimplifying issues down to a meme a photo with a funny label or a tweet he added many are reluctant to admit sometimes things are more complicated and he said when i say people may be getting dumber i don't mean less clever but rather perhaps less willing to focus on things and think them through with technology delivering so much information via the social media and youtube videos for example the brain cannot cope so we get our information chopped up into little bite-sized morsels work out what we believe or don't believe in a flash Then move on to something else because we don't have the time to focus. There's an argument this has led people to become increasingly polarised, leading to phenomena like the so-called culture wars. Um, Okay, I agree with this, by the way. How do you feel? Well, you know me and technology. You know I'm one of the best technophobes in the world. So I I can't get an overload of it because I only use my phone for you know, messaging my friends and, and this, that and the other. So, yeah, but I, I get that. The, 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 these that sit there in front of computers all day, you know, just playing along, and the, it, the, the amount of information, it must be absolutely astronomical. No wonder nobody nobody knows what's going on, because it, it, all, it can all bind into one with somebody's brain, and me with, a, you know, me with my technology, you can forget it like it. I just take... You know, I see the news. I'll, you know, I'll say something about the news, and it. But well, I can, I can understand where all this, this is coming from with, with all this technology now that everybody's being over, overloaded with all different types of information. Yeah, I, I think this uh, comes out very clearly when you see something going through that really, you, you know, it makes me think. Um, I'll see something and I think, oh um, no, I'm not happy about this. It doesn't really, it doesn't really match with the other information I've had in longer articles and have thought about it, you know. Uh, but yeah. you'll see somebody wade straight in. It's like somebody going in with a right hook on somebody who basically maybe hasn't done what uh, the article was expressing as maybe fact. I think that's the problem for me. Um, it, it's the time to try and sort of get the difference between what is right and what is not right, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just have a quick look on Facebook, see if any friends are on and this, that and the other. And then all of a sudden, if I see something that's funny or something that thing in and I'll share it. I mean, I remember once getting a message about fact, fact checkers. And they were what, what they were telling me is some of, of it has not been 100% um, uh, clarified as real. 
So you, you're actually, I'm not putting the right, but it weren't my post. I just shared it off somebody else, thinking it were quite either funny or it, it needed to, you know, to go further to a few friends. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you find out the, these fact checkers don't even actually check. They just press button every now and again. Well, a lot of it, you see, is um, the AI, the artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, and the trouble yeah. is, you see, people don't realise. You know, for example, if you're using predicted te uh, predictive text, so you're trying to write a message and words are coming up, so instead of having to write the word, you, you, you can press and that word will then become part of your message. You know, um, it, it's stopping people from really thinking through what they're trying to say, you know, if the text comes up. And so a message will go and the wrong word's gone. And that can yeah. make the difference between a nice tweet or message to somebody um, and maybe something that offends people, you know. So it, it is difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen that. When, when you, you send someone and then all of a sudden, what you think you, you, you wanted to put, this one comes up and you think, oh, it must be that one then. You know, you, you put that to make it a little bit quicker to to carry on yeah and it, and that's not the right word you know or it's not it's spelled differently or whatever and the next minute you get in a, a letter saying that yeah, these might not be the 100% facts of this, what you, you know, all that malarkey. I tell you, there's a danger as well. People don't realise, but you see, by default, you and anybody else that's correcting the words are teaching that particular computer how to use the words and how to spell. So really, um, you know, by using the, co the correction and the predictive text, you are really part of a problem that's coming for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's another one. If you've got, sometimes it, it predict, the, the predictive text spells the word you know to be English in American or something like that, and it's spelled wrong from what you're saying, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Okay. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, it, it's, it's all mumbo-jumbo to me. I only use it for phoning people and getting in touch and that. And I mean, it's a great idea that I can speak face-to-face -face with my daughter in Northern Ireland, uh, or, you know, when she's in England or wherever, or, or if she's on holiday, you know, and ask her how she's doing on and with kids and all that. Fantastic, but... Other than that, you know, you, you get all these keyboard warriors bombarding you with all kinds of stuff. OK, got another one for you. And then we're near the end, actually. It's come up quick today. So... Yeah, and I think I've just had a ding-dong on my phone. I might be running out of uh, battery. Whoa. I've got about, 50, about 12%. It should be all right. OK, let's crack on. OK, so in essence, this should be good news for the United uh, Kingdom. And Singapore has ploughed nearly £700 million into London properties in a vote of confidence in the capital. The country's sovereign wealth fund uh, has purchased a 75% stake in the Paddington Central Development from British land for £694 million. And the deal will see the FTSE 100 listed property developer enter a joint venture with uh, GIC, which of course is um, in Singapore. Now, um, 
I thought this was a very good uh, comment at the bottom. And I do like to often read an article and see what people are saying. And this is somebody from South Wales. So how many new jobs were created by this? How did this affect our GDP? This is just someone buying a lump for X now and will sell it for Y in the future. No help for residents, apart from keeping processing and reducing the accommodation for all. So that is actually very true. Um, the problem is, if you think about what's been happening in the, um, in the Russian situation, all these other people have come in. They've made the money. And then, of course, the minute you've got a problem, then we've got all sorts of problems that will be rolled on from that. So maybe not as well as you want it to be. Maybe is it a good thing or a bad thing? It can't be a bad thing totally, can it? It, it? it can't be that good because you've got thousands and thousands of houses in London that are worth millions, yeah, and nobody's ever stayed in them yet. And they just wait till it goes, you know, to a, a really sky-high price and then they'll sell, sell them on. And then when it dips again, they'll, buy, they'll probably buy the same houses back for a hell of a lot less. Yeah, it's it, oligars, they're, they're banking in, in UK and this, that and the other and buying, you know, plots of land and houses. It's, you know, it, but it, it never gets to real people, working class people. You've never hoping hell of that, have you? Well, look, I, I, I really, these days, I find it difficult to talk about people as being working class or middle class. You know, it's not, if you're working class, it, it doesn't mean the same as it used to. You know, for example, no. you know, if somebody wants to call themselves working class, there's nothing wrong with being a, an honest, hard grafting. I mean, whenever I go past somebody cleaning the roads, I always try and say hello to them. I always feel that other people don't bother. You know what I mean? And I think that that's an honest hard day's work by somebody that. Yeah, people look at them as though they're sort of underlings. No, they're in a job. They're doing that job to keep your area clean or whatever. I, every time I'm out walking, if I see, you know, local council uh, jobs, you know, you know, they're very clean round here, sweeping up all the, all the leaves and everything like that. I always say, you know, one of us, you know, lovely. You know, uh, yeah, no, it used to be working class that were, were basically on the shop floor. The next were, if you were like a, a manager, one or a bank manager or something, that were middle class. And then you got your itty tighty ones at top donkeys years ago. Yeah. All right, then, well, we've put the world to right again. Let me just quickly tell you as we finish the podcast, I had hoped to see you on Sunday. Um, I went to Benidorm Palace and uh, the oh, man. Oh, yeah. The yeah, Manfred. Yeah, um, yeah, not Paul. Uh, yeah, uh, Christine. Oh, yeah, of our era. What were they called? Manfred, Manfred, Manfred. Yeah, yeah. Manfred, Man. Uh, well, the Manfreds. They they were yeah, the certainly yeah. worth yeah. going to see, and right. uh, you know it's a great night. And I saw a lot of old people, a lot of old friends. I don't know if you remember Big Ian, the swimmer who used to be Duncan Goodhue's training partner. Um, All right. I haven't seen him for it's... years, but he used to um, do some work with us on the radio station, and I've not seen nah. him for so long. That that was a real nice one to see him again. Um, yeah. Just a, just a quick one. Yeah. Are we still big in Bangladesh? Uh, Bangladesh is strange. It doesn't come up on the um, uh, on the statistics. I, now I I think 
that there's something not right with the statistics because of that. Because basically, yeah. you know, I do know that we have people listening to us over there. Um, every week, yeah. Just, yeah. just uh, bear with me. I'll, I'll put the music on and stay on the line for a minute, will you? Uh, we'll All be right. with you in two minutes. All right, no problem. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we'll finish off by saying thank you very much indeed once again to Neil Colborne. Neil, great to hear you again, so um, hope to see you soon. I'll see you next week. Lovely. Thanks, Neil. See you later. Bye.